Before we jump into the conversation and learn more about Verily, um, I thought we'd start the conversation with learning about you. And uh, I always love talking with doctors, with doctorpreneurs, uh, with people who are uh, really at the intersection of both practicing in the real world with care, but also reinventing the future of, of care. So was there an aha moment for you where you knew uh, your path, where you knew you wanted to become a doctor and, and make that transition uh, into technology as well? So I think being a doctor, and in fact, I would just say every person in the room here today who's caring about health understands that health and disease really are the grand unifier. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I practice critical care cardiology and every time I'm with the patient, we sometimes are able to save someone's life, but sometimes it's the last moment of their life. And it is such an amazing gift to be able to be part of health and healthcare. So to me, uh, conferences like this, when we get together and we say, what can we do, be doing differently is so motivating. The, the interesting thing about uh, healthcare and technology is when I uh, was in college, I remember thinking the reason I wanted to be a physician was to help people. And at the time, I may have had a misperception around technology in general as something being distanced, cold, separate, numeric. And as it turns out from the talks we heard today and what we're hearing at the conference generally, technology actually can be a grand unifier. It can be something that brings people together. So what became apparent to me was to make global impact, really bringing technology and health together offered a huge opportunity. So now, 20 plus years later, it, it's all coming full circle. And um, was there a moment, even when you were younger, though, that you knew, I, I want to be a doctor? Like, did you always know that you wanted to help people improve their health and, and well-being? Uh, so what, what example? Both my parents are physicians. My mom's a child psychiatrist. My dad's an ENT surgeon. Uh, and for, for us, I remember actively saying, I'm going to do anything but be a doctor. Uh, however, we, they do point to uh, we had an outbreak of chickenpox. And uh, it went around the entire neighborhood. And what I did was I took this little book and I recorded all of the kids in the neighborhood and I went and applied calamine lotion to all of them. And to me, I started to see it and I would track. It was an epidemiologic book, who was getting better, who was getting worse, which siblings were getting affected. So I think it was just core to what I do, despite my, my trying to break out of, of family tradition. It's just, it's in my genes. I, and the reason I was really digging into that is because I feel like we're at this unique moment really where a lot of people that are maybe in med school today, they're wondering why am I here, should I be here, what's the future of, of, of being a doctor? So I just always like learning that story and, and so important to have great doctors. Um, so I, I was uh, really curious about that. So let's, let's shift gears to, to Verily. Um, there's a lot of excitement around Verily. A lot of people I don't think understand what Verily is. Um, what is Verily? What's your mission? What's your organization's moonshot? So we grew out of Google, and Google's mission is to organize the world's information. But as everyone here knows, there's a whole sector of life science and health that has its own environment, and we can talk much more about that. So when I first joined Google, I joined Google X, which is the moonshot factory, and we were sitting beside the driverless car, Project Loon, uh, a group working on access and energy, and there was a relatively small group thinking about what information in healthcare would we need to collect differently, organize, and activate. 
And at the time, again, I, I joined Google X. We were research and development focused at the time, but very quickly grew. And now we're really all about hitting big problems, using new science and technology, and also when it's appropriate, partnering with groups like Sanofi that you just heard from. Uh, and it's been wonderful to work with Amit and his team. Uh, we also are partnering with GSK on electroceuticals as well as um, thinking broadly uh, about robotic surgery with Johnson & Johnson. So uh, again, we have in the span of three years progressed tremendously and I see so much energy and enthusiasm behind the work of taking technology but understanding the realities of healthcare and life science. So we are now, verily, we've graduated and we're an independent company uh, under the Alphabet, Alphabet family. So do you consider yourself more um, a healthcare company or a technology company or a data company or is it all of those combined? Yeah, we're a healthcare and life science company that's using the next generation tools and technologies that are now available. But what you'll see from folks that we both work with uh, in addition to the industry partners I just mentioned, we're working with major medical centers, including uh, right now Duke and Stanford, Brigham and Women's Hospital. So we consider ourselves really a healthcare and life science-based company, and that is critically important mm. to us. And let's talk a little bit about collaboration. I know that was discussed a little in, in the last session. Um, we're, we're at this moment where healthcare companies are designing these unique collaborations with technology companies, with, with data companies. Um, could you talk a little bit more about some of those collaborations that, that you do? You mentioned Sanofi and, and there's your on Duo. Um, could you talk about those a little? Sure. What we've found is there is an urgency in healthcare and, and the way that I'm always reminded whenever we meet uh, with patients that are either patients that I'm working with, advocacy groups, you can't leave that conversation without feeling a sense of we have to do something now. And you and I have been able to talk a little bit about why is this moment different than other, other mm -hmm. moments. And what we've seen is if you're really trying to solve a big problem, there's sometimes times where it's much easier to move individually. I've talked to a number of companies that are here, and I would really cherish that, that moment if that's right for you. At the same time, there may be certain conditions, diseases, areas where it makes so much more sense to say, what is it that, for example, Sanofi and Averly together could do that's different? And we've incredibly enjoyed working with Sanofi. They have a deep history in treating patients with diabetes. And we're bringing a lot of the technology, the infrastructure, outreach, the trying to delight the user to the extent we can in healthcare. And so we understand bringing these two groups together is likely going to supercharge the work that we do. And you think that's a trend that will continue much more in the future? I, I mean, I feel like for many decades, really, there was a, a lot of siloed um, companies holding a lot of IP, a lot of... Uh, things very close to the best, let's say, and, and now it seems like we're seeing more of these unique collaborations. Um, do you feel like that's the new forward? That's where we're going to start to see a lot more of those collaborations? I'm seeing a lot of it. And again, the times it works best is where the, the aim is aligned, the incentives are aligned, and people genuinely respect the work that the group's each are bringing to the table. And sometimes that requires uh, checking your own assumptions. We even find that within Verily, how do we bring together scientists, health economists, 
electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, people who do back-end software, each one of these individuals is going to be stronger if we come together and say, okay, here's the piece I bring. But I certainly won't be successful if I show up every day and say, well, let me tell you how we do it in healthcare. That's just not going to end up being as effective. So I'm seeing the same thing internally in companies as I'm seeing externally with these partnerships. Yeah. And, and what about with startups? There's a lot of extraordinary startups here today and obviously around uh, this week and around the world today. Um, how do you think about the, the next generation of innovators, the, the ones that are just coming in, and, and what would your advice be for them on how to um, develop these collaborations that, that you all have uh, been successful with? Well, one thing I want to pick up on is the end of your opening session where people were physically locking arms and saying, I don't, I don't think people are going to get ahead on their own. And so this idea of creating a collective group of people. You may run quickly as an independent company. We now have a partner space that has been really fun to work with companies that are now just starting. And the more we realize that if we focus, and this happens in medicine all the time, you may have a really hard shift, you may be up for 36 hours, but what we always remember, and this is what we teach residents and medical students, is if you think about the patient, you think about what you're actually focused on, you'll never go wrong. And so I think the same can be said for startups and for companies saying, I know what my mission is, but how can I turn to other people and help this global mission? And, and maybe it's a little bit of karma, but I think it comes back to help folks. And I am seeing more openness uh, than I would have ever expected to see. Hmm. And what's your, your sense of the moment we're in? You mentioned Verily um, sort of came out of X, um, and I feel like this concept of moonshot thinking has been around for a while, but something seems different today um, than even 24 months ago or three years ago. Um, it just seems like there's new conditions. Um, you know, we, we look a lot at the changing business models. We look a lot at the increased demand because of... Um, the chronic disease epidemic and, and aging populations creating this massive demand. We, we're seeing thousands of entrepreneurs and tons of capital come into the sector. And we're also seeing this happen all around the world. Um, what signals are you seeing? Um, and do you believe something's changed that now is different than even a few years ago in terms of the possibility of, of where we can go? The, the biggest change I'm seeing is what health even means. And if you think about the term an electronic health record and that it's usually physicians or healthcare providers that are entering information into that, it makes me start to think that health only happens in the four walls of a hospital or of a clinic. But if you think about your own health and you think about the people around you, it's the biology that's happening every day. So I might be up here and my heart rate might be going a little bit faster. Uh, it may be the decision that I make at lunch today. Uh, it's all of these small decisions that really truly define health. And there's also a continuum of biology that extends outside of what we just see. And I'll give you a very tangible example. In the cardiac critical care unit, I might be able to see someone's heart rate and their blood pressure and their inner cardiac pressures. But the minute that person leaves the hospital, all of those things are still going on. And so I see this concept of 
what's really happening to someone? And, and there's a lot of talk about people's social circumstances, but the ability to understand that health is much broader, I think is changing how we're going to collect that information and make it useful. So I think that's one major change that makes now a different moment. It's kind of the liberation or the democratization of, of what the concept of health is. Mm. And then the second thing, we've already talked about it this morning, an interest in trying to create interesting partnerships. And I give the FDA a lot of credit for setting up a pre-certification program. And we're one of the companies partnering with the FDA because we know that it's going to be interesting and challenging as we create new algorithms and new ways of understanding health. We want to have an open door and a transparent policy so we can get these solutions out to patients as quickly as possible. But I'm seeing those two things. One's kind of conceptual and one's very practical. And we'll have um, Bruce Greenstein here tomorrow from HHS. So uh, it, it is interesting. There's more guidance. There there's, there's, seems to be um, more opportunity for startups than, than ever before. I'm very excited about that. Um, as you think about, in particular, from, from the doctor's perspective, but we talk about health. Um, there's, we talk about innovation. Um, what does success look like, though? When, as we, as health transformers, as innovators, as companies, what should we be striving for? What are we really trying to do here um, at, at the end of the day? In, in your mind, what does success look like? I think we're really trying to improve life. And if you think about traditional healthcare outcomes, we think about can we actually, and I'll see it through the lens. I spent many years as a cardiovascular clinical trialist, and we would run large trials where we were trying to understand whether one intervention or another, uh, one device or another, one compound or another actually improved uh, hard clinical endpoints. And so we looked at things like cardiovascular death, myocardial infarction, stroke. Could we actually improve outcomes? And I think there's now going to be another lens. Not only can we improve healthcare outcomes, but can we improve the quality of someone's life as well? And so I think every single group that I've talked to at the conference is in some ways trying to make patients' lives better. And I think better, though, is an evolving and a creative and an important term so that we understand how whatever you're working on is truly making someone's life better. It may be extending life, it may be improving quality of life, but all of these things are going to be metrics that we, uh, no pun intended, live and die by. So this, to me, is, is how we know that we're making a difference. Do you think um, that's one reason we're starting to see a lot of companies from outside of healthcare come into healthcare? So CES is going on this week as well in, in, in Vegas, and, and we've seen a, a number of technology companies, but also consumer companies coming into healthcare. Do you think it's because we're all just trying to improve life and, and there is a deeper understanding now that that's ultimately what is going to transform the outcomes? Part of it is giving people the right information so that life can be improved. And I'll give a, a really concrete example. So you might come in, say you and I are in, we're in the clinic today, and uh, yes, it's great to see you. Uh, it looks like your blood pressure is 180 over 90, so uh, I have a 10-minute encounter with you. I'm going to try to explain what hypertension is. I'm going to put you on two new medications. I want you to take those every day, and you should figure out how to monitor your blood pressure. That's a lot of information that needs to be exchanged about explaining the condition, bringing you along, 
figuring out what your insurance is, and then figuring out how you are going to actually measure this outcome. And what I'm seeing is tools that could help this interaction. Uh, maybe it's a blood pressure cuff that you're able to use at home that transmits the blood pressure value so that you don't have to come back in two weeks to have your blood pressure checked. But the more information that's out there, the better you can be an advocate of your own health. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at a lot of the consumer plays that are going on right now, it's ways of trying to make your life just a little bit easier. And that's been done in so many different industries. And I think now's a moment to say, why not health? Yeah, and it seems like a lot of the, the progress that's being made now, the opportunity is really to, to take these new tools, to take this new data, to take these new learnings, and then design it invisibly into our lives, you know, whether that's our car seats or our bathrooms or our refrigerators or whatever the case may be. I feel like there's a great opportunity, and I hope a lot of the innovators in this room start pushing towards that to take that next step, to take the extraordinary um, learnings from the data and technology and the tools that Averily is designing and then figure out how we transition that into, um, invisibly, into our lives. Yeah, that's a, such a good point. We've uh, experimented with a lot of these uh, non-invasive ways of trying to understand information. And I think that there's sometimes an interesting tension. We may talk to uh, a company or they may be talking to investors and the investors want to know uh, how, how much the engagement is or we may want to know that, but that's probably the wrong way of thinking about it, as you said. It's much more likely, how do you put things into uh, objects that people are using every single day? How do we bring the barrier down mm -hmm. uh, to actually get people engaged and interested in using these kinds of tools and devices? Because I always come back to the concept of value. And while I think there's something different about the moment we're in right now for the reasons we discussed, at the same time, if you think about technology broadly, and I, and I use this example, cardiologists and doctors use stethoscopes. That's a technology. We've been using it for 200 years because it helps us understand your heart. We use cardiac imaging because that helps us. And so the more we think about these tools as just something that adds value and fits into our overall process, the easier it is. So I, I try not to, I try to think about the, the reason why today is different but also never underestimate if something's valuable. So I'm sure everyone uh, checked some news this morning. You probably have a favorite app that you use. You go there because it's valuable. And I think with healthcare, we need to do the same things, whether it's a patient, whether it's a doctor, a health system. And, uh, you know, you're really at the intersection, as, as we said, of technology, data, and healthcare. There's a lot of what I would call the legacy healthcare systems that are starting to either collaborate with or think about collaborating with startups or just technology in general. What would your thoughts on that be? Um, what would your advice be? Because oftentimes the challenge is a culture shock. There's, there's different cultures. You know, what have you learned that might be helpful to organizations that are trying to make that marriage happen? So I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. One thing that's been really fun and challenging is working with a number of different companies and figuring out how do you bring people together and really listen and value where 
their perspective may be coming from. I think it sometimes can be a natural tendency um, for folks, even really innovative companies and groups to say, well, we got this figured out. And the same may be true for more traditional companies. But what I've seen is if we really, it comes down to valuing and, and having gratitude as you brought up this morning and saying, how, how can we actually focus back on what our problem is? Let's make progress and let's listen to one another. And the other thing, so that's, that's one interesting thing. The other one I've noticed as a company, uh, one of Verily's values is this concept of starting with yes. And it doesn't mean that you need to say yes to everything, and it doesn't mean, as uh, Amit brought up in the talk before, that you have to meet with everybody. But what it means is when someone comes to you with an idea, it may be a natural tendency to think about all the reasons why that wouldn't work. So you might come to me and say, I've got this amazing idea, and immediately I'm, uh, have you thought about this and that and this? And that? It's the way critical thinkers work. But if you pause for a minute and say, you know, I'm going to start with yes and think about, could this happen? Mm. Could this be possible? Then it really changes the entire dialogue. So I'm seeing both ways of thinking externally with partners and then even internally. The culture that you create as an organization is going to flow through every decision that's made. So for me, that's been a value that has been incredibly fun to practice. And I think it's one that I hear from a lot of the startups that I've talked to today. It really is a way of thinking. It's a mindset. And, and it's, the, the question is not if we can make it work, but how do we make it work? Because even the impossible can be possible when you have that, that mindset. I think that's extraordinary. So let's talk about the, the future. Um, where are we going? What are you optimistic about? Um, both in the near term, but also, you know, our, our mission is over the next 25 years accomplishing these health moonshots. Some people think we're crazy when, when we say that, but, you know, it's, it's an exponential opportunity here. What are you excited about? I'm going to go back to a theme that I started to talk about before, because it truly is what's most exciting to me. This redefinition and understanding of health biology and health decisions. And I think we're at a moment right now where if you look at the investments over 2017 and 2018, really understanding tools to collect health information in a much different way. The actual infrastructure that is going to be built so that this information can be parsed and understood. That's where next generation analytics are going to be layered on top. And then the most important thing is figuring out what actually improves outcomes, what leads to value. But there's a, there's a moment now where all three of those things are coming together. And to me, that, that just can't be beat. Wow. So we are going to open it up to questions. So start preparing your questions. We have several folks with, with microphones. Um, so if anybody does have a question, just raise your hand. Um, and, and before you ask your question, if you could say your name and, and the organization you're with, that'd be very helpful. And also talk right into the, uh, the microphone. Um, anybody have questions? Right over here. Hi, Lisa Haggerty McMahon, Wave Edge, uh, Wave Edge Capital. Um, just you mentioned FDA pre-certification, the process, and that it's a new thing with all the new technologies that you are giving. I'm guessing throwing a lot in front of the FDA that they've just never seen and are trying to figure out how to work with. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about 
what that process involves, uh, so certification with the agency. Uh, so the question for people couldn't, uh, who couldn't hear it was about how does a company work with the FDA on the pre-certification process? And uh, thank you for the question. Yeah, it's been really interesting to think about how do you safely get new tools into the hands of patients and providers. And what we've seen, and I, and I would say this is probably true of everything that's out there, but there's now an awareness that if you have a new software platform, for example, um, how are you going to decide when you move forward, when it's locked, what happens with iteration? And what we've seen with the FDA pre-certification process is a real openness. I mean, it's starting with a dialogue of what is the FDA wanting to solve for? How do we put patient safety first and foremost? We have had a very open conversation. FDA comes on site. They go to many of the different companies to try to understand how do we really do best in class uh, safety, but at the same time move quickly. And the place where I'm seeing it most tangibly is around a lot of AI applied to imaging, for example. And there are new tools that are out there. They likely will scale the accessibility of certain products. The product we're closest to is screening for diabetic retinopathy. Uh, the idea that diabetes is one of the leading causes of blindness worldwide. We know that the number of optometrists and ophthalmologists who can actually read all of the fundus images is limited. How do we create tools where there are automated reads? And so this is a project where we've been partnering to make sure that everyone is on the same page as we move forward. And I'm seeing many, many companies uh, work directly with the FDA. So it's not something unique to us, but it's something that I'm particularly proud of that we're doing. Thank you. And while someone's doing their next, uh, preparing their next question, I, I wanted to follow up on sort of related to the FDA on a, a trend we're noticing, and really for a while, but as the maker movement of, of people building healthcare in their garage or kitchen really accelerates pretty quickly, um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. We didn't talk about this earlier, but I'm just curious, like from a, a doctor's perspective, how does the regulatory organization, the technology organizations, the healthcare organization keep pace with change when consumers are, are building healthcare in their, in their homes now? Yeah, Do you I have think, any thoughts on that? Uh, so an example that people frequently turn to uh, is the type 1 diabetes community where a lot of people move forward to try to understand uh, their continuous glucose data and what it means for therapy. And there's some great articles, including in JAMA and others, that really talk about this. And we're trying to figure out how do you actually partner with individuals, people with type 1 diabetes? How do you make this, make this a reality, and how do you stay ahead of it? So that's one thing. Uh, the second one is there are a lot of people coming up with a lot of good ideas. And, and one philosophy we've had is we're trying to tackle today's problem, something like diabetes. We're also incredibly interested in broader health signals. And so we've engaged with both Duke and Stanford to do something called Project Baseline, which is saying we're not going to be content just solving today's problems, but we're looking for the next generation of signals. The only reason we can treat diabetes with the clarity we can is we understand the relationship between glucose and diabetes. But there are so many other signals that are out there. And so what we do is have a very open mind to people who are making their own products, thinking about their own innovations, because that is where the world is going to be going. You know, I know some people are really terrified of this prospect, but other people are very excited. And I think a lot of the opportunity for 
uh, reinvention and invention is when it just sort of happens this way. So exciting future. Uh, other questions? Yes. Uh, can Hi. you say your name and company? And Sure. I'm uh, Camilo Erazo. I'm the CEO for the National Center for Health Information Systems in Chile. And um, I'm a doctor myself, and I'm, my work involves collaborating and partnering with people coming also from an engineering uh, background. And that type of collaboration, I think, is very important. But I think you mentioned, uh, in, for many of the ideas that you shared, the need to collaborate further with people coming, for example, from, uh, for example, from uh, behavioral sciences and social sciences. And I was wondering if that is something that you are doing and how you are addressing that, which can be quite challenging for like large tech companies that maybe don't have those natural uh, tendency to look into that world. Yeah. yeah, so this concept of where does behavioral health come in is so important. And, and what folks will make fun of me at work for saying is we can create all these different widgets, but unless we understand where someone's coming from, the behaviors that people are choosing every day, then we've totally missed the mark. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my own kind of journey into this. I, was, I mentioned I was running large-scale clinical trials. We would report out with one medicine versus another, there might be a 20% relative risk reduction. But I, I thought, and this was about 15 years ago, there's got to be something different. And we started collecting genetic samples. And this whole world of precision medicine, many people quickly go to genetics and molecular readouts. But I've now, instead of just talking about genome and phenome, it's genotype, behavior type, and phenotype. And so personally what we've done is we have a number of folks who spend their entire careers. We have psychologists, people who specialize on, we have user, what we call them user experience researchers to really understand are we making a difference. So it cannot be ignored and it's something we've embraced personally. Excellent. More questions. There's one back here. Let's wait for the microphone, please, because we need it for the live stream. Thank you. Hi, my name is uh, Mohanjit Jolly. I'm with a fund called Iron Pillar, which is a U.S.-India cross-border investment platform. So the question really is, from a Verily standpoint, uh, how do you start thinking about sort of democratization of this technology across the globe rather than having it be very U.S.-centric, uh, which unfortunately I think a lot of companies you know, end up focusing on because the market here is obviously massive. But when you think, think about diabetes and other problems, the emerging economies actually need that, uh, you know, just as much, if not more so, than, than the emerged economies, if you will. Uh, so the question is, how do you, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, how does a company not become myopic and only see the world in front of you? Uh, and I'll take it even further. How do you go beyond seeing Silicon Valley to seeing the United States, which is a very diverse country, to thinking about international uh, the international perspective. And I'll tell you how we've handled it. Uh, one is to, to say from the beginning that there is an entire world of people. And something Unity and I have been talking about is how do we think about all of the billions? And we were talking about that earlier. I'll, I'll give you three tangible examples. One is uh, from the very beginning, we've partnered with other governments. So we have ongoing projects with the NHS as well as with the Netherlands. And then the example I gave around screening for diabetic retinopathy, we're thinking about the entire end-to-end -end solution. So creating cameras, the screening, and then what do you actually do on the care side? And we're exploring that not only in the United States, but also in India. 
because as you said, there may and there likely are going to be very uh, different, if not bigger applications as you think broadly. And the third tangible example is we took a strategic investment from Tomasic, which is a fund based out of Singapore. And so I would say, uh, whoever you are and whatever company you're working on, uh, thinking about how do you embrace globalization from the very beginning, even if you start some of your initiatives uh, in the United States. And I, I would just add on to this. I, I think, um, you know, I just wanted to say this given some of the people that are in the room. For any organization that's not thinking about the global opportunity in health, I just think it's um, not only a missed opportunity, it's, it's, it's just unacceptable. Um, there's seven and a half billion people in the world, and, and the reason we say we're organizing a global army of health transformers is um, because billions of people do not have access to basic care right now. You know, we, we tend to think about the $3 trillion healthcare market or talk about basically 350 million people when we're in the United States, but the opportunity is extraordinary. Um, and I think what some companies are, are learning, some businesses are learning, is that there's a whole new way of thinking about the healthcare market. And it has to do with the whole world. It has to do with people that can't afford care, which poses some really, or creates some really interesting questions around what are the business models of the future? What, you know, our, one of our moonshots, the cost to zero, we're very purposeful about why we say zero. What if healthcare didn't cost any money? You know, and people think that's just insane, right? Well, I don't know. I remember when we used to have to spend a dollar fifty to call London, you know, and, and Skype and WhatsApp and all sorts of things resolved that issue. And so I, I think there's, in some instances, an opportunity to leverage global thinking to radically transform the future of health. So I, I appreciate that, that question. Um, uh, other, other questions? Um, well, well, okay. Yep. Yeah. Kevin Haltman from uh, Kaiser Permanente. Can, can you talk uh, really okay. loudly, yeah. please? So, Kevin Haltman from Kaiser Permanente. Hello. Um, so, my question is in regards to you've been part of Google X, uh, which is in broader, within broader Google, and then interacting with startup teams uh, through partnerships. I'm curious if you could share any other tips for big companies engaging with innovation teams, moonshot teams, startups, and what makes those relationships, interactions thrive, or what puddles would you recommend to avoid stepping in? So the concept of how, how do smaller startups work with... Uh, big companies. Big companies, and, yeah. got it. Uh, so, th thank you. Uh, this idea of how do you actually form partnerships that work, how are you going to move forward? I mean, nicely talked about timelines. What I've seen generally is uh, when people are focused on, I'm trying to solve a given problem and how can certain pieces come together, it works really well. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having big, broad conversations, but it's sometimes harder to figure out exactly how the different pieces would plug in. 
And so there are companies that we work with, and I mentioned the partner space that we now have, where it absolutely aligns. I feel so good about them being around our teams, near our scientists, near our labs, because it's a really tangible problem they're trying to solve, and I, and I feel confident that we can do something real to accelerate their business. So my general advice is to really think about the problem you're trying to ask and think about who's going to add value beyond just a label, a name, or a brand. I think there was another question over here, please. We'll just wait for the microphone. Hi, Laurie McGraw with the American Medical Association, also responsible for the AMA's Integrated Health Model Initiative. I'm curious how you think about the organization of data. You've got a lot of data that you're working with, and how you expect the standards to be in, um, semantically interoperable with all of the healthcare technology that's already in place in hospitals and clinics today. Yep. So it's a Great question. By the way, hello to this side of the room. Uh, <laughs> so this idea of, unlike other industries where, if you think about other tech examples, people go, wow, you know, a tech company came in and everything was changed. In many cases, some of the companies were starting fresh and creating uh, new regulatory requirements, new data standards. In healthcare, we all have to be very aware of the tremendous work that's already been done, systems that are in place. and. I think working with groups like your own to make sure that folks know the standards, if anything, lean in and bring coalitions together. One thing that we've done, there's the President's Precision Medicine Initiative, now known as All of Us. And in addition to Project Baseline that I mentioned earlier, and Project Baseline is a concept of really thinking about comprehensive health data, anything from genomics to people's personal preferences to behavior and behavioral health and thinking the infrastructure there, we've also worked and now are the data core for the All of Us program with the idea that it's much more powerful for us all to come together, understand what standards we want to move forward. And again, I, I know your organization is deeply involved and I applaud you for the work that you do because it's different than other fields where everything is just going to be starting from scratch. And so I think uh, I saw the title that was in the brochure uh, that they chose, I guess for me personally, with feet on the ground, head in the sky. I, I think when a company wants to be involved in healthcare and life science, it's really important to understand and have our feet on the ground to know what is already out there and how can we just accelerate the work that's underway. There's a qu question back there. Hi, my name is Lisa Spellman. I'm the Secretary General for DICOM. And I thought this was going to be way too geeky of a question to ask, but now that I've heard two standards questions, <laughs> what message would you have to the international standards community? What can we be doing to further these efforts? Yeah, so this is a question about, and I'm happy to answer anything, international standards. So we have a number of, what I would encourage both the committees as well as companies like our own is to make sure that we constantly communicate. And we have several people on our team specifically there to make sure that we don't miss the mark. And what I would encourage organizations like the ones we're hearing from now is stand up, have a voice, make sure people are hearing your perspective because Unity is the one who really said, we need to lock arms and figure out how to do the right thing for patients. And it's only through really open communication around what the best standards should be. And certainly for groups like your own that have thought tremendously about it, please share your message. Do you think, um, and we'll go to your question here in a second, um, that with blockchain and things moving so quickly that 
some sort of new standard just materializes organically that leaps us forward in a way maybe we weren't expecting? It, it may. You know, we have a lot of conversations about blockchain utility. Where is it going to fit? I, I, to me, it comes down to really what's the problem we're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. um, so it may. And it may. Uh, there was also questions around here versus other environments internationally. Um, I think if there's a strong enough need and use case, it, it may very well. But I see all of these things, whether it's blockchain, AI, big data, deep data, they're all just tools mm -hmm. for us to try to answer problems. And there's no place more clear than in healthcare and life science. Mm -hmm. So use the tools that help you solve the problems you're trying to solve. I love it. Uh, there was a question over here. Hi, Dr. Mega. Uh, my name is Rebecca Hu, and I represent Early Bird Venture Capital, a Berlin-based uh, health tech firm, uh, venture firm. And my question is re in regards to the quantified self, um, especially with growing interest in understanding largely misunderstood parts of our body, such as the brain and microbiome. How do you bridge the disconnect between trying to conduct large retrospective studies and trying to collect as much data to refine algorithms to understand these systems versus the fear that we're collecting the wrong data points in the first place? So I think it, there really is an approach to saying we almost have to step back and understand these systems. And the examples that were given is how do we understand the microbiome and how do we think about the brain and brain health and neurology, areas where our tools have been still emerging. And the way I think about it and we think about it as a company is what do we need to do to truly collect gold standard data from these different elements? And we have a program going on in both those areas. I'm happy to chat about it. But we have to start with just the ability, can you collect and organize it? But unless we figure out the value and what we're going to do with it, it does fall short. So you need to be committed, and we're certainly committed to all three steps. Because what comes up frequently is just because you have a lot of data, and certainly when I put on my physician hat or talk to my physician colleagues, no one's saying, hey, you know what I really want is like a ton more data, because that's going to make my visit uh, better. What people are asking for is curated, actionable information. Uh, I'm fairly optimistic that we're going to learn a lot more, for example, about both the areas that you talked about, and then they can be applied. But it's, we're all going to have to roll up our sleeves and do the, the heavy lifting and the hard work to figure out what it means. Other questions? One right here. Um, this is a question. Can to, you say who your name oh, and I, company? I'm Sam Ali with a Denka, a Japanese company based here in. Uh, and talk as loud as you can. Uh, I'm based here in California, but I work with a Denka, Japanese company, on the corporate venture side. And the question is, uh, the, 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 I think the main challenge is uh, right now is that there lo there's a lot of innovation, but I think there's a big gap in applying new technologies and products into medical practice. And I think the studies show there's a gap or a lag of about 20 years. Uh, and it's a big challenge to change medical practice when the doctors are so busy and they are not necessarily up to date on all the emerging technologies. And so um, this is a question or a comment or uh, to Jessica or to anybody here in the room is, is what can we do to accelerate the ad adoption of, of uh, medical innovation and sometimes approved and, f and fully uh, authorized applications that take such a long time. So the question really is pertaining to the long life cycle it takes to truly change medical practice. And what I'm, I'm seeing, there, there are different ways that we can think about it. Certainly, 
uh, very invasive products. They have a regulatory and a adoption pathway for a reason. But places where I'm starting to see the timeline shorten are on rapid ways of collecting clinical evidence. And there are tools in practice where the last conversation highlighted this idea of really engaging directly with patients, getting folks involved ways of more seamlessly integrating that information. So I remember just a few years ago running clinical trials and I would get a PDF back and I'd circle different var variables in, in red and I'd then put that on my shelf and that day is, is coming and going. So there are much smarter ways of looking for trends, picking up signals, running adaptive studies. And then the final one is how do we actually think about that last translation, that last mile and getting things into practice. And for anyone in Unity, you asked this earlier, for anyone who is in the health system, a medical student, a doctor, nurses, care providers, occupational therapists, physical therapists, come to meetings like this. And, and we need to make sure that we don't do technology in a bubble, but that we are constantly reaching out to our colleagues who know a lot about health, how healthcare works. And so I met with a great medical student who's one of the volunteers here today, and he's in his third year rotations, but he volunteered because he wanted to be part of the conversation. And I think that's where you're going to end up changing the end. I think tr certainly I, I find that people are open to traditional education, but nothing beats actual personal investment. Wonderful. So we're uh, time for one more question, and then I've got one question to wrap things up. Microphone, please. Thank you. Marta Gajadzanki from the Stanford Bayer Center for Biodesign. I'm interested in health technology innovation processes, and my question for you is um, how do you think the health technology innovation process that really changes from uh, Google, if it has? How do you think the industry in general has adapted and learned in innovating in this sector? And if you think that there are any weaknesses that, as a community, we need to work on when we think about innovating in health technology? So the concept of innovating in healthcare, health technology, and life science is one that comes up a lot. One thing I feel really fortunate about the question was, how do we do that at Verily? We have to have the basics underway. And we've spent several years building a quality system, regulatory system, clinical operations, just things you need to, to really get things launched. And I'm not saying everyone needs all these pieces. We're happy to, to share the pieces that we've worked on. But if you understand the landscape you're entering in, then you can be as creative as you want. So I think one thing that's different about industries, and the question came up earlier, that are already mature industries, as opposed to just inventing something out of nowhere, is just making sure that we're familiar with what are the ground rules, and then how can we transform on top of that. So I think it's, it goes back to the overall premise of really understanding where we are, keeping our feet on the ground, but then giving that freedom, and that starting with yes, uh, to, to innovate differently. The other thing uh, I think that I see in life science and healthcare, which gets to your question about this life cycle, um, is going back to our theme of, of helping one another. If there are mistakes that you've made, uh, if there are mistakes we've made, we'll be open with that because there are things that we all need to learn. And when I say mistakes, I mean that broadly. Biology's tough. There's obviously engineering risk and there's biologic risk. And if you run an excellent study, and this is something that's so ingrained in me having run clinical trials, you can run a wonderful clinical trial, you can do the best research, but as it turns out, biology can be really challenging. And I think to embrace biology and to say that's the beauty of it uh, keeps us from becoming so close and keeps innovation forward thinking.
Well, I, Jessica, I just want to thank you. Um, and, and before we go, would you um, wrap up with a dream, a wish, uh, an ask perhaps of, of this community, the ecosystem, the people in this room on what we should all do to, to help transform health? What I would say, I think health is so universal and you can so quickly get bogged down in all of the things we just discussed that will, that will stifle innovation. But I think to stay optimistic, figure out the way of getting things done, partner uh, with groups that are trying to figure out how to move through the system, I would just hold on to that enthusiasm and energy because there's nothing more important than health. Thank you. Jessica, thank you for, uh, for being here and everything that you do. It's thank you. wonderful.